Hello everyone and welcome back to The Bridgehead. Today we're going to discuss a man who has become internationally popular lately, but not necessarily in a good way. And here of course I refer to Canada's Prime Minister Justin Trudeau. When he first got elected, he was a very popular right around the world, at least with the, the very liberal progressive set. He was, as one commentator quite famously put it, uh, the world's woke boyfriend. And there was all sorts of fawning international profiles about uh, the witty socks that he wore and how good looking he was. And there were, you know, photo shoots of him with his wife and things like that. But it turns out the international press is souring on him just a little bit. And it's for an unusual reason, actually, uh, because as most of you will know, Justin Trudeau enjoys ensuring that his personal popularity remains high by going on the road with these uh, town hall meetings where he takes questions from the audience. And this actually has always surprised me, but he does very well in this particular format. And the reason it surprises me is that he's generally terrible at taking questions from the press. He often stutters and stammers and appears to swallow entire sentences and is completely unable to fashion answers to questions that he had to know were coming. I'm talking about questions that involve issues that he knew were going to surface in a press scrum and that he, in spite of all that, seems utterly ill-equipped to answer. But he does do quite well when he's on the road, and he does quite well uh, when he's on the stump. And so actually, he was doing quite well on his most recent trip around the country. He faced some pipeline protesters in BC, which is fairly typical. And it wasn't until the last couple of appearances that he really started bombing things. Of course, there was the now infamous incident when a veteran who'd lost a leg in service of Canada in Afghanistan stood up and asked why the Trudeau government had dragged veterans into court over benefits, something the Trudeau government had promised that they wouldn't do. And Trudeau, in a very unfortunate twist of wording, uh, said that the veterans were simply asking for too much. And of course, this paired with photos of, of caskets draped in the Canadian flag is just an absolutely awful look, especially considering the fact that the Trudeau government burns massive piles of money on a wide array of things from official photographers to cabinet ministers, social media, to, of course, the $10 million paid out uh, to Omar Khadr for his time spent in Guantanamo Bay after he was convicted uh, of killing an American medic. Regardless of what you think of the money that the Trudeau government spends on all sorts of other things, when you're able to spend a ton of money on Instagram photographs, but you somehow can't find the money to pay somebody who lost their leg in Afghanistan in the service of his country, it's just a really, really bad look overall. Even here in Canada, where we have a very small military, you don't want to get caught on camera telling a veteran who lost a leg that he's asking his government for too much when he was willing uh, to sacrifice everything. And, and Trudeau said some other incredibly stupid things. There was one question about his uh, at least verbalized policy on welcoming ISIS fighters back home to Canada. As most of you will know, there's been a lot of young men right across the Western world who have been attracted to ISIS for one reason or another and have gone to the Middle East to fight on their behalf. And now, as the uh, Trump administration seems to have quite successfully 
bombed ISIS out of existence, many of those fighters are seeking to return home. Now, that obviously prevents, uh, presents something of a problem. Some of these people will be the citizens of various countries, but Trudeau is taking this very asinine line about how they're going to be welcomed back and reintegrated into society, even though all the evidence and all the data indicates that these people are virtually impossible to reintegrate back into society. And so he was asked a question about this, and he ignored the question entirely. The question basically uh, was, how is bringing ISIS fighters back to Canada going to impact the safety of other Canadians and what sorts of precautions was Trudeau and the Liberals uh, prepared to implement? And Trudeau just went on about how Canada loves refugees. Uh, Canada has welcomed refugees throughout history. Uh, you know, there's also been prejudice against people like the Italians when they came in. And basically, the only way to interpret his answer was that he was saying that people who are nervous about ISIS fighters returning to Canada and their reintegration were somehow on the same moral playing field as people who felt genuine cons or the same moral playing field as people who reacted with prejudice when people fled from other countries. ISIS fighters are not fleeing anything but the just rewards of the atrocities they committed in the Middle East. They're not, you know, fleeing from a war zone that threatens their family. Uh, this is an entirely different cup of tea, but for some reason, Justin didn't even notice that, and he just sort of hammered forward his answer, which brings us to the, uh, the incident that incurred international mockery, which was, of course, his infamous people-kind comment. There was one young woman who went off on a very rambling question. I think it was close to four minutes or something like that. And she uh, ducked down a number of rabbit holes while she was asking the question. And so maybe Trudeau was just sick of talking to her. But at, at one point she said that this organization that she worked for uh, was essentially helping to harness maternal love, which would save uh, and better all of mankind. And at this point he interrupted her and said, we like to say people kind. It's more inclusive. Now, a couple of days later, uh, once he was thoroughly mocked in the international press from the United Kingdom to Australia to the U.S., and, and quite savagely mocked, too. A lot of people were just completely fed up with this. Jordan B. Peterson went on Fox News. Ben Shapiro went on a rant about this. Piers Morgan even wrote, wrote a column that was so scathing, I think he may have burst a blood vessel. And Trudeau kind of popped out for a two-second answer. Um, after the House of Commons saying, oh, by the way, I was just joking, shouldn't have made the joke, didn't play well, I'm out of here, and then headed off to Chicago. But regardless of the fact, a number of commentators have pointed out the obvious, which is that regardless of whether or not it was a joke, and you can watch the whole thing, I didn't think it was a joke, and I, I watched the entire context for the question as well as his answer on the follow-up. But basically... The fact remains that everybody who heard it thought it was true. That this is exactly the sort of thing that Justin Trudeau, who's always running around and talking about his feminism and talking about his progressive credentials, and then essentially attempting to enforce his progressive credentials on the rest of the country, this is exactly the sort of thing that he would say. Even though that's not a word, it doesn't exist, Justin Trudeau more or less made it up on the spot. And so that was very, very interesting. And that sort of brings me to the discussion I'll be having today, which is with uh, Dr. David Haskell. Now, Dr. David Haskell is uh, now a professor at Wilfrid Laurier University. For those of you who recognize the name Wilfrid Laurier, it's because it's where the infamous 
uh, incident with Lindsay Shepard took place, where she was disciplined by a troika of academics who claimed complaints had been made about her showing a clip of Jordan Peterson in class. It turned out no complaints had been made, and that the three uh, academics in the troika were way out of line, or using the academic uh, term here very, very loosely. Anyways, Dr. David Haskell has been a very, very strong critic of political correctness, and a very, very tough and increasingly vocal critic of Prime Minister Justin Trudeau. He's even uh, written a column for the CBC talking about how dangerous Justin Trudeau is as a Prime Minister. And before academia, he was actually a journalist. He worked as a reporter in London, Windsor, and in Waterloo. He has received awards uh, for the reports that he has done while he was a news reporter. And he also spent four years as a professor of journalism at Conestoga College, which is, uh, for those of you who don't know, in Kitchener, Ontario. And I had him on the show here today just so we could talk a little bit about uh, Justin Trudeau and what he represents to Canada. Because although a lot of conservatives are willing to write him off as a bit of an idiot, a lot of them find him pretty embarrassing, especially when things like, you know, he, well, when the people kind comment thing happens or when he compares refugees to returning ISIS fighters. But Dr. David Haskell has a slightly different perspective. He thinks Justin Trudeau is a downright dangerous man and says that that is the reason he has come out so strongly against him. So I, I phoned him up. He was happy enough to do an interview with me. And I hope you enjoy this discussion as much as I did. We'll start off with the summer jobs uh, kerfuffle, as the Prime Minister referred to it as. And you wrote a, uh, a column at the CBC that got shared quite a bit. What was your take on, on the kerfuffle when it first arose? Well, the kerfuffle was really uh, one of the telling signs of... Uh, what are what really underlies our prime minister's ideology and he's got a a real authoritarian side to him and he's shown it from the very beginning i mean back in 2015 when he insisted that uh, any of the mps running for his party had to um embrace a pro-choice position he wasn't going to allow for freedom of conscience right and so you know fast forward to 2017 2018 and now he's saying that he's going to force Canadians to accept, the, they must accept the, the pro-choice position or they're not going to be able to get money from the government, tax money that they paid into, incidentally, uh, for summer jobs programs. The reason that that, that really struck me as incredibly uh, devious is the way that he justifies it is through a misinterpretation of the charter. So he's got to have people working for him, because I don't think he's smart enough to do this, but he's got to have people working for him who will say, listen, you're misinterpreting the charter, but he's doing it intentionally right. in order to advance an ideological agenda. And we can discuss that further if you want. Yeah, no, I certainly would, because, yeah, you're a professor of religion and culture, and Canada is often seen as sort of a very secular country. I have to admit that I was pleasantly surprised by just how many different groups and the sheer diversity and variety of those groups that did stand up and say, you know what, uh, we don't usually make comments on, on ethical issues like this, but if you're going to put a gun to our head and force us to pick a side, then we're going to have to tell you that we're not with you. So obviously he did overplay his hand in terms of, of the backlash, but what 
do you think gave him the sense of entitlement to try something like this? It, it quite frankly, seems like a bit of an unnecessary kerfuffle, to say the least. Right, right. Well, first to your point that a lot of people who normally wouldn't speak out spoke out, and it's because they knew that this was not necessarily a pro-life, pro-choice issue. This was a pro-truth issue. Right. And And people, Canadians in general, they are good people. And if they see that a government is purposely being devious, they're going to speak out. So this became a pro-truth issue. And they saw that our prime minister was really acting nefariously. And the other side of it, you said, uh, what was the second part of your question there? Well, just for example, what do you think gave him a sense of entitlement to do this in the first place? Right, right. So what... The, the way that I would compare it is, so as someone who studies sociology of religion, uh, I really believe that our prime minister uh, is a fundamentalist. Right. He's not a, he's not a religious fundamentalist, um, but he is a fundamentalist. And he has the care. So he's an ideological fundamentalist. And the characteristics of a fundamentalist is that they believe that they have the truth and they, they will go to the mat for that truth. They're not willing to have compromise. This is a major difference that you have to realize we haven't seen in politicians in Canada before. Uh, we've seen it in religious leaders before, but not in our politicians. Right. And for, for all Canadians worry, you know, going into elections, I remember with uh, Stephen Harper, they were worried that his religious beliefs would influence policy. didn't happen at all. Mm-hmm. But here we have the secular fundamentalism of Justin Trudeau definitely influencing the policy. And if we had to look at it a little bit more generally, politicians in Canada for hundreds of years have been pragmatists. And that means that they can compromise and that, and that they can work with others because they're willing to work incrementally and be able to compromise certain positions to get things done. And also because they realize that Canada is a plurality. Right. Not everyone's going to have the same belief, so we have to be pragmatic to get things, to move it, moving things ahead. But now we have this ideologue. We've got Justin Trudeau, who believes he has the truth, capital T, and he's going to force his will on people. And this is exactly what happens in totalitarian regimes uh, in the Middle East, where they've got a theocracy. Well, we, we've got a theocracy, but but it's in a cast in a in a secular uh, religious sense, and it's it's informed by this radical, what he would call a social justice agenda, which is actually a discriminatory agenda. If you don't if you don't map to his ideology, he will discriminate against you. Now the irony is that here's a guy who talks in every speech about diversity, inclusion, yeah, exactly. and inclusion, but. But the only, uh, but but he he's so hypocritical, because he doesn't want diversity, he wants uniformity, and he's shown that if you don't uh, hold the line or toe the line on his particular ideology, you're not going to qualify for government funding. And again, <clears throat> it's this idea he he's promoting uh, the idea that uh, it it's essentially against the law to hold a pro-life position. That's what he's saying. He said that it's a guaranteed charter right, and that's a lie. Yes, it's it is. It's a complete lie. 
which, surprisingly, the media has done a very good job of pointing out. Uh, the pro-life movement was pleasantly surprised when, you know, for since 1988, they've been trying to tell the public, by the way, uh, there isn't a guaranteed constitutional right to abortion. Parliament does have the right to legislate, and this fact had sort of been ignored. And because uh, Trudeau overreached so far in his assertions about abortion being a charter right, we've even got newspapers like the Ottawa Citizen and the Toronto Star coming out and actually refuting his claims, which was, I think, another very unintended and very surprising consequence of, of his move on the Canada Summer Jobs Program. That's right. And it's good because Canadians are waking up to the fact that he is putting ideology over truth. And, and he is actually trying to pretend laws into existence. And when you can pretend laws into existence, you can pretend laws out of existence. And this is exactly what you see in authoritarian regimes. And this, is, this should cause great concern to Canadians, that they have a, a prime minister who is willing to go beyond the law to get his ideology in place. Uh, I'm gonna. I, uh, I'm going to uh, keep harping on this mm-hmm. because, again, this is we haven't seen this before. Right. We haven't seen an ideologue like this as our prime minister. <clears throat> no, and this is very interesting because, of course, one of the reasons people don't want debate to take place is when they have a sneaking suspicion that that debate will not serve their side well. So, for example, on the pro-life, pro-choice question, we, since 1969, when abortion first was decriminalized, have learned an awful lot, scientifically speaking, about uh, the human being developing in the womb. We're doing surgeries before viability, right? So that discussion now has to be framed in ideological rather than scientific terms. Otherwise, the debate gets far more comfortable. And these broad sweeping assertions about Canadian support X or Canadian support Y, uh, once those uh, questions are subjected to a certain amount of information, we start to see things change. And you already mentioned that uh, in terms of Trudeau's ideological leanings, we have the example of him saying nobody could run for the Liberal Party if they have any desire to vote in favor of of a piece of pro-life legislation, which would, of course, mean that his father, Pierre Trudeau, would be ineligible to run in his own party. Uh, And then, of course, we just discussed the Canada Summer Jobs program, but you're referring to him as a dangerous ideologue. What other pieces of evidence have we seen that Justin Trudeau is, is different even than other liberal prime ministers like, say, Paul Martin or Jean Chrétien? Well, it's, it's his willingness to avoid empirical evidence in order to advance an ideological position. So he's, he's just come out with some recommendations related to uh, gender parity in certain, in certain areas of Canadian life. But then he'll he'll suggest, or his government will suggest, sometimes it's not him directly, but his government will suggest, if you do this, there'll be this positive benefit. But there just aren't the studies to to back up what they're saying. I'm not saying, so let's give an example uh, more concretely. Right. He, he wants to see gender parity on company boards, and he said that it will improve businesses. Well, that's just not true. Uh, the uh, University of Pennsylvania has done meta-analysis of women on boards, and, and it makes no difference in terms of the outcome. Now, I'm not saying it gets worse, but it doesn't get better. Right. But they're saying that it gets better. So subtle things like that, where they'll, they'll try to torque the information or 
twist it to meet their ideology, and it just it's just not backed up. Uh, his his um, early early on when he said I'm going to put 50 percent women on in my cabinet, but only 20 percent of the people uh, who'd been elected in his party were women. So now, rather than say who might be the best person for the job, he says I- I'm going to make sure that we have 50 percent women. It's just he didn't have the numbers there. So I have to assume that some of them weren't as qualified as the men. Right. I have I have a daughter. I want to make sure my daughter has every opportunity that my sons have. I, I, I'm certainly in favor of all uh, equality for any woman in Canada. But at the same time, when you begin dis- discriminating against one sex in order to promote your ideology, that is going to lead to a lack of social cohesion, but also to negative, negative effects. And what I mean by that is, in any other country where we've seen that discrimination against either males or a particular race has occurred, it means that the best people for the job are often kept out of the job. And if you want a society to prosper, you want to see the best people in the job because they're going to have the greatest innovation, they're going to have the greatest successes, that's what actually will, will bring a, a society to the next level, uh, a meritocracy. But when you, when you actually hamstring certain people and say, no matter what, you can't get in, well, that was wrong uh, back when, when blacks were prejudiced against prior to the civil rights movement of Martin Luther King Jr., and it's wrong now against any other race and any other gender. I mean, it's just he doesn't look at the empirical evidence. Which is, is kind of interesting, because of course, as I mentioned previously, there are issues where ignoring empirical evidence, so for example on embryology, is just helpful uh, for ideological purposes. But to what extent do you think the Canadian people are kind of catching on to this? Even with, as I mentioned to you earlier, I don't know enough about Canada's judicial system in terms of criminal trials. That's just not my my area. But I was profoundly uncomfortable when I saw that the Prime Minister and the Liberal government wanted to meet with First Nations activists about the verdict of a jury trial, because it seemed to me, and and correct me if I'm wrong, that only one outcome was actually permitted. As in, it is a jury trial, the jury analyzed the evidence and made their decision, but because they didn't make a decision that the Liberal government liked, they're now exploring ways to ensure that such a result couldn't happen again, which seems to me to be uh, subverting the idea of a fair trial when you're, you know, trying to change the system to ensure that you get the result that suits your ideological purposes. What did you think of that whole scenario? Uh, I thought that it was completely inappropriate for both Trudeau and his justice minister to make any kind of comment. And, and it was definitely for political gain. Uh, so I'm just echoing what you've all already said. I, I, I also look at the, the difficult position that the, the crown was in, in this particular situation. Uh, people, people have made the comment, well, uh, it should have, he should have. This is uh, Stanley, the, right. the fellow who was the white farmer who um, shot Colton Bush, Bushy. They say, well, he should have gotten something. But what happened in this case was 
the Crown wanted to go uh, for the maximum penalty he, he could get. So he did second-degree murder. And, and he did that because he knew if he went for anything less, then there would be outrage. So right. he's thinking, okay, I'm going to go for second-degree murder on this. Instead of involuntary manslaughter or something. Right, or something, or negligent use of a firearm, or whatever the other the other uh, charges could have been. Or, But in doing so, it was kind of an all-or-nothing uh, gambit. Right. And and uh, and then this fella, Stanley, was found not guilty of second degree murder, and and then there was outrage there. So I, I do feel a bit sorry for the Crown, who was trying to do uh, what he could in order to ameliorate the situation from the beginning by going for the maximum penalty, and then when it didn't work out, then it it was uh, again seen as some 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 commentary suggested that he hadn't done enough there, so he was in a tough situation. The fact that the the Trudeau government is now trying to find ways to change this decision, and that's what they seem to be doing, again, should be a, a worry because we we've had this system. We we had to fight uh, against emperors and kings in order to be able to. Uh, have justice between a jury of our peers, and now it seems that our, our government wants to reverse this. And it's like so many things that I see among people who are of a, a more progressive bent, or the so-called progressive bent, that they want to take many of the freedoms and many of the values that were, were worked so hard to obtain, and they want to just jettison them, uh, believing that it will make the the society more just in the short term. But we've been down that road before. And again, it just we look at history and we know that these by changing these things, the outcomes will actually become worse. Yeah, it, it does seem like laws and, uh, you know, certain systems are being looked at as a means to an end at this point. Uh, you know, they're supposed to be used to, to attain the desired result as opposed to sort of a fair and free system. And that would, I suppose, relate back to your early point that because Justin Trudeau is an ideolo- ideologue and he believes he knows, you know, the truth in scare quotes, that he feels justified in playing around with sacred systems that ensure justice and a level playing field for all of us. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and... It t- taps into the larger foundation of his ideology. Um, he has said that Canada is a, uh, a, a post-national uh, country, mm-hmm. and and this ties into this whole idea of just the postmodern notion that uh, that whatever came before the the traditions that came before the ideas of before are sometimes held or, or so- somehow held suspect. And so there's this idea that you can create something brand new that will be in in a pure form. And it's very naive. It's very naive because it's not the first time that someone has tried to uh, abandon uh, established principles only to have it come back to bite them in the butt. We've seen it in many uh, communist regimes where they said, oh, well, we're going to just change it and make it perfect. It's going to be utopian. And it never is. And we, we do have a prime minister who is really fond of communist regimes. Uh-huh. He, he was 
very uh, enamored with Fidel Castro. In a recent trip that he took to China, he praised the communist government for able to, uh, as a dictatorship, able to get things done more quickly in terms of the economy. And this is the leader of Canada saying these things. And it really does betray the inner workings of his mind. And he believes he can create a utopian system, just like all uh, other authoritarians believe they could. And we know how that works out. Now, I obviously agree with you, and often people ask me, is there sort of any encouragement on the horizon when you see leaders not only doing these things, but getting away with them? Uh, For example, I thought, with the exception of his very last few stops on his town hall tour, that town halls serve him very well, because when, for example, he gets presented with a question that he doesn't have an answer that will be satisfactory to the person asking him the question, he, he very much does almost exactly what Bill Clinton used to do, which is, you know, he steps in for a hug, he expresses compassion for the individual person, and dodges uh, answering the question uh, on its merits, dodges actually discussing any policy prescription he might have. So he appears empathetic, he appears to have answered the question, but in reality he's managed to sort of duck away from that. Now, this sort of blew up on the last few stops when you know he compared uh, returning ISIS fighters to Italian refugees and uh, made the mistake of of telling a veteran who had uh, lost a leg in service of Canada that the veterans were asking for too much. But ordinarily speaking, uh, Trudeau does quite well on on this stump circuit, and he manages to persuade people that he has their best interests in mind. And this makes it more difficult for people to see the nefariousness of some of the things that he's saying. But one of the things that I found encouraging uh, is the case of Dr. Jordan Peterson, and specifically what happened to him after he released those videos, um, you know, when his his career started to sort of take off. I interviewed him uh, for this podcast, actually, at the time. And usually these things follow a script, right? You've got an academic who says something that's out of line with the current ideological dogmas. You have a whole bunch of people accusing that person of being transphobic or bigoted or racist or whatever the the term that they they apply to him is. Uh, And then they either force a groveling apology or the institution that person works for decides that he's no longer worth the risk, he's too toxic, and he gets let go. In Peterson's case, uh, instead of him getting fired, he got rich and famous, which I found extremely encouraging simply for the reason that it looks sort of like he's the guy uh, that broke the system. They have this method of getting rid of, of academics, and instead of it working, uh, instead their attacks on him simply drew attention to his work, and, and now he wields quite enormous influence, and, and, and I, I love some of what he has to say, and I disagree with, with other things he has to say, but I, I really do like what he represents. What do you think about that? I think that uh, a certain segment of the population are waking up, and that's a great thing. But so many Canadians don't read newspapers, don't watch the news. Right. And they have no idea uh, the extent to which a really toxic ide- ideology has moved into their education system and into their government. They just have no idea. Um, they, they don't realize, for example, that the um, Elementary Teachers Federation of Ontario has just implemented a brand new curriculum that will go from early years all the way through grade eight. And it is dedicated not to math, 
not to reading, but to social justice ideology. Wow. And you say, well, well, wouldn't that be a good thing? Well, not the way that they define it, because social justice has now become this idea of let's let's discriminate against those people who we see as as the the privileged the privileged people, and it's a it's a mandate for discrimination. And it certainly does not value diversity. If you do not have the same ideology, then you will be excluded. It's a very intolerant system. It, it's, it's, <clears throat> excuse me, it's exactly what we've seen happen in communist regimes. There is one way to think, and if you don't think that way, you'll be excluded, and eventually you'll be punished. We haven't seen the punishment yet. Well, we actually have. We've seen the punishment now in terms of not being able to get government funding. Again, this is funding that uh, people, uh, pro-life Canadians, put into the system, and now they can't get it out. So we're, we're already seeing punishment. And do you think that, that, that um, the case of Peterson indicates uh, any sort of shift in the wind for academics who want to step forward and actually state the sorts of things that he states now, that, that, that you're stating on this podcast, and that a lot of others, um, reportedly at least, uh, would like to say, but still don't dare to say because of the ram- potential ramifications for their career. I would like to think that there were more professors who thought like Jordan Peterson or were as brave as Jordan Peterson. I haven't seen it. There are a few, there are a handful at every university. Uh, there's certainly very, very few in the arts and humanities. Uh, I'm less encouraged than what I think you are in that regard. I think that uh, what we need, what we need to see is ordinary Canadians, those those who have been alerted to what's going on in society. They need to start telling other people, the people who aren't reading the newspaper, who aren't following what's going on in the government. They need to a little bit more vocal. No, actually, a lot more vocal. Because unless there's a groundswell of ordinary Canadians who are pushing back against this, it's, uh, it's not, it's not going to be a, a pleasant time in Canada, especially for people who have uh, opinions and values that, that differ from uh, their government. 